everyone, I'm Roxy. And I'm Priska. And we are the Two Horny Girls. We're just two horny goats climbing the mountain of life, eating Asian American stereotypes for breakfast. Welcome, 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 welcome. to season two, episode three, where we will be talking about dun dun dun, 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 dun. facing failure. Oh my god, I have but so many feels about this, Roxy. I bet you do. And as Asian people, I feel like we suffer ten times more than the norm. Am I right? I Yo, should be a rapper. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, because we have to save face. We gotta be careful. We gotta mm-hmm. like, you know, we can't disappoint people. Can't let the ancestors down. No, you gotta keep climbing the ladder. No way falling down the ladder. You know what I mean? You gotta take. Two steps forward and three steps forward. No yeah. steps back. No ever. steps back. Yeah. One rung is too many going back. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's so fucking crazy. It's so fucking crazy. But um, yeah, we're going to just air out our dirty laundry in terms of our yeah. failure. So everybody could know that it's completely normal, even though we're still coping with it ourselves. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was just telling Roxy, like, I feel like I take failure so hard and have to process it over so many years. And I feel like my husband and I sometimes have like the same conversations over and over about our failures, like moments in which we've had big failures and we're still dissecting it. And it could be years since we it since it's happened. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like literally it's been years, but it still impacts us and it's still sits on our minds and our hearts, you know? And so, and I feel like, like publicly, we don't share about this enough, huh? Well, everybody wants to see how you're doing. I actually think that people always want the tea to see if you're doing poorly so they themselves could be elevated up. At least it was interesting, like me talking to my parents around like the 80s and 90s. It's always about like, oh, you are on the up and up, you yeah. know? And mm-hmm. if someone's not, it's like, oh, yeah. like that's so bad for them. Wow, they they really have a hard life or they're just unlucky you know but but it's condescending and it's patronizing and it doesn't come from like a genuine empathetic place you yeah know? And, and i think there's something with like at least in taiwanese culture there's something with like oh if you're not doing well that must mean something like not like like karmically almost like you know what i mean it, it almost has this implication that it's because of your either past deeds or in a past life you were in a certain way there's this kind of blame that's attributed to bad things happening or failures happening you know or they just straight up think that you're not working hard enough or that you made the wrong decisions in life how many times yes. have we been in those family banquets or whatever where all the oh aunts and uncles are just like they shouldn't have done that yeah yeah oh, yeah that's yeah. so bad for them why did they choose to do that or it's so clear clear that they shouldn't have done that because like yeah, hindsight oh, is 2020 you know yeah. it's like oh how chintu it's like yeah it's clearly they shouldn't have done that you it's know like, and why did you do this you should have done that exactly you know? oh, thank you for telling me how to live my life yeah and, and, th- and thank you because like yeah because you understood all of the obstacles in my path you know and so you have like license to speak into my life great <laughs> totally yeah, and great. like we just have to say that like life is not black and white right yeah yeah it's for constantly sure. like a myriad of different variables and yeah. you know you asking yourself what's best for you but having the power to like overcome those i think failure is such like a 
it's such an experience in which you define that narrative of failure, you know, it's because true. sometimes I'm just like, how often do people really look at you and think that? But then yeah. I want to dive into this because I'm For pretty sure. isolated from my families, oh, like my extended man. family. So like yeah. they don't get to have this sort of judgment on me all the time. Good. <laughs> you know, so I know that a lot of people are different. You know, they yeah. have to bear the brunt of that all the time. But Definitely. Prisca, like, yeah. why are we doing this episode? Well, it's I, you know, I think we wanted to do it. It because um, we want to talk more about failure. We want to be more public about it. And it's kind of like in our career episode, we're literally just saying all the things you shouldn't say, like all the things that you ha- have, all the inner dialogues that we all have. We're just trying to like extricate that basically, yes. you know, and um, when this calendar invite like came up on my phone, because Roxy and I like plan ahead. <laughs> and sometimes we <laughs> like plan ahead, ahead. Like I know sometimes we plan ahead so hard where we're, I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't even know we were talking about this yet. You know, I know. Hey, like we have a calendar invite for literally everything. everything. Yeah. Like, um, like my 15 minute taking a shit before our episode. I'm like, it's in my like, calendar. I know exactly what Prisca is doing. That's really good. I mean, yeah. that gives her two minutes to make it to the table and, and my set ba- up her. Exactly. My bowel movements have to be in line. You know what I mean? And if it's not in the calendar, Every it might not happen. It's all accounted for. Exactly. But, um, I, I literally laughed out loud because, um, just two days ago, um, me and my friend Hannah, we we went through a little bit of I don't want to say what position exactly, but we went through a little drama, not with her and I, but with um, this other person we had to work on to finish our track. Oh, girl, spill the tea. Basically, like I, I just want to start by saying, like, you know, my husband has very, very strong um, kind of ideals and he mm-hmm. lives by them and it's over the well, course he's of a like, music producer. So, yeah. So like over 20 years, like of being in the music industry, he has a certain type of person he's willing to work with mm-hmm. certain type of behavior. He will not condone um, certain types of people. He will not invite into a studio situation, you know, um, and certain artists he won't play with. He has these very like strong ideals. And I'm, it's literally like when you go through it and now I've had like seven years of learning his kind of system, it's literally calculus, you know, like it's a little bit here. It's a little bit there. Then things get compounded and then squared and then rooted and then you know and then at the end of it it's like yes or no you know right you know Hannah she's on her she's done three studio albums Roxy mm-hmm. and I both, both used to live with this singer songwriter named Hannah Kim she's now going by Thule and so this is the first time Hannah and I have worked together um, since she's had kids so she had two kids and she's kind of been you know focusing on being a mom and she's trying to get back into doing music which is uh, fabulous so exciting you know and I, Hannah I has be- an incredible voice oh and my god her music is so fucking good y'all so she's such a good writer and roxy did one of her first music videos um for her song mexico so definitely go on youtube and check that out because it's amazing Um, (laughs) no braggies but so anyway like hana um you know we've we've been going back and forth on this and we finally sent it to this person it it came back and there's a glitch on the track right there's a there's a a a, a part where it was peaking which means it was like too loud Mm -hmm. um and and it basically kind of what you hear is like this distorted almost buzzing sound around the vocals mm. and we're sending timestamps we're sending recordings of it like you know we'll record it on our phone and send it we're like trying to actually figure out the problem but all of his responses to us were literally like are you listening to the mix correctly what was his point every time and it wasn't like let me try to figure this out let me see what's going on on my end he just kept blaming our usage. Oh my God. He was like, are you downloading it? Are you listening to it in this? Are you like, is it the 24, 16? Like, is it all of these like other factors that it's like, why should, honestly, why should that matter? And yeah. it got to the point 
where because Hannah was direct, um, directly dealing with him at first. Anyway, it got to the point where Hannah was calling me being like, am I crazy? Like, am I stupid? Almost Hannah was like doubting herself. She was like, am I supposed to do something special to listen to these mixes? Am I supposed to convert it to this? And she was emailing him like, maybe I don't know something, you know? And I was like, Hannah, you've literally done three studio albums. This is not something you don't know. I was just like encouraging her because I was like, he's literally making you feel stupid and you're not that stupid. That is so patronizing. It was so patronizing. And so finally, like I got looped in and I have a lot less patience and it's it was fucking Christmas Eve. So I would like have no patience at this point. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. And like, I was like, okay, Abe, how do I write this email? So like, uh, like this person By the will way, understand. You're really hot when you're angry. I just want to <laughs> say that. Thanks. I guess. <laughs> I like my body temperature goes up two degrees. So I'm, yeah, so like, I'm giving hotter. you permission to, to show whatever emotion you're feeling. <laughs> so I, you know, we send that over and then he again blames us for like, are we listening to something wrong? It took up our entire evening. And at the end of it, like we were like, all right, you know, I was like, Hannah, I want to get off this train. This is a nightmare, right? Because the problem is not getting better. It's getting worse. It's literally, mm. we're talking about three seconds here three seconds of this like issue that wouldn't go away and he kept saying i'm not hearing it so it like must be something you guys are doing wrong and how you're listening to it which was driving me crazy and so it was it's almost like as if if you hired a plumber to fix a leaky pipe Uh and you're like hey it's still leaking and he (laughs) says you don't know how to use your faucet (laughs) that's essentially what was happening perfect analogy yeah and it was i was so infuriated and i guess like you know i didn't see all of his his interactions with hana so you know things are still nothing's cut and dry but at the end of it i was like hana let's just find someone else like it's not worth it you know what i mean like maybe it's just not the right style maybe it's just not the right thing you know what i'm saying so i'm like hey like um thank you so much for your time like we already paid him so it was like thank you so much for your time and you paid him we already paid him yeah exactly thank you so much for your time we're gonna move forward with another set of ears yes so simple yes and he literally wrote back you're joking right (gasps) oh this is so juicy i know i know (laughs) i know and and i'm not gonna out him publicly you know because our podcast is so popular. Like, I don't want to hurt this guy. If any musician was looking for this position, I would I would advise them against using him. Wait, how old is he? I, I think he's like in his 40s or 50s. Oh, well, like he's older. Life. That's why. Yeah. It doesn't definitely sounds like somebody who feels like you have no right yeah. to question his authority or mastery, even though you're the ones hiring him to yeah. create your track. That is so backwards. Yeah. I was telling Hannah, I was like, Hannah, we don't owe him anything. But she's like, yes. I would like to close the loop professionally. And, you know, for my husband, he was like, you guys already fired him. You don't need, you know what I mean? You guys are the client. You guys already fired. You don't owe him anything. And so basically I got caught in like a two hour conversation with between Hana and myself and then my husband and myself where it was like trying to figure out the most integritous thing to do because we don't want to condone his behavior, you know, and, and, and I want to practice what I preach because what I talk about this, when I'm talking to people and new musicians, I would definitely say, cut them out and don't worry about it. Cut them out and walk away. Yeah. But when I got that email, I felt so sick inside because I was like, I want to walk away. But I also understood that he was painting us so that we were the ones who would look like hysterical ladies. And and Hannah specifically wanted to end things on a good note, which I respect her for. And I didn't know what to do. I felt this oh it's like getting me right now I felt this like extreme disappointment in myself 
because like, you know, we talk on the podcast all the time about what we believe in and what our value system is. And now someone's mistreating us in my view, like is speaking to us in a way that we don't deserve. And we did uh, like, we did what we could on our part to try to walk away. And now we're presented with this situation where, you know, the person I'm working, working with Hannah would like to react. And my, my husband and I, in, in the way that we have conversations about things, thinks we should just walk away. Um, and there's no right thing to do. It's just what, how would you like to decide to behave? Well, you know, what's actually really interesting is, you know, you and I are always talking about like, where are you in terms of your career and what is your status, right? Yeah. Hannah is so talented. Yes, she did release those, you know, those albums, but she also took a hiatus. Mm-hmm. And like coming back, you know, it's like reestablishing herself. This is one of her like newest ventures back into the professional world, yeah. you know, and like reconnecting with professional contacts. So yes, she would like to close, you know, with integrity and yeah. uh, closure with this person, even though he's fucking vile. Yeah. But for you, you and Abe have been working continuously and know that it's like, okay, we don't need this person. Right. So that's where the conflict comes in. And it's, it's interesting because like, I know Hannah knows that she's being disrespected as well. She does. She does. She does. Yeah. What I wanted to do was make sure I was on the same page with Hannah. You know, I was like, we cannot go forward. Like if I see things one way, you see things one way. I'm like, you know what? I want to end the ugliness too. I, I, I I don't like this. We, I want to get off this train. I also see where she's coming from and I, I need to move forward in step with my partner. It was a conundrum. Girl, no matter if you try to close things in the best way possible, if you're dealing with a toxic person, yeah. it will never be closed in the appropriate way. Yeah. Like no matter how hard you try. And it's like, you think you did the right thing. So leave it. Yeah. But I don't even know if we did the right thing anymore. I don't know because we ended up condoning his behavior we we finished that response i i disagree with you because prisca you ended up you did you know what i mean it's like you did walk away and then you're respecting your creative partner hana in this right so like so then having that discussion again to be like okay well what do we sort of do but like it deep down you always knew because you've been dealing with people like this yeah for so much of your life yeah i just feel like i i cowed to it a bit you and know? we do that sometimes yeah and we should allow ourselves to do that sometimes because like every situation is different recently i had a situation where you know one of my key crew members who i've worked with for many years you know yeah. quit my project Oof. you know two days before we wrapped on a feature film and you oh know and it, it was tough because you know the producer and and they were just like sort of going at each other and i have relationships with both parties yeah but at the end of the day i have to go back down to logic right you know and uh you know in the past i used to be like throw money at the problem i used to give up my fee yeah to to fix the situation but i had no i had nothing to do with their conflict yeah. why am i giving up my my fee that i've worked so hard for to fix it when it had nothing to do with me totally i've had clients quit on me i worked at a marketing agency so i've had clients like quit on me and i've had people ghost me clients but you never lash out because clients are your life's blood. And if they walk away, then you kind of analyze what happened. If it's not your fault, you just move on. But like for him to lash out at us was, I knew it was proof positive that we should have walked away. But in the end, we accepted the clip. And also, once we switched our tone, he suddenly started to be really nice. And like, you know what I mean? Like he started to 
he was like, oh, I dreamed about your project, et cetera, and whatnot. And I was like, this is exactly why we should have walked away. Yeah, it's funny. Human behavior, right? Yeah. Human psychology, like you do a certain thing and, and it's always a power play at the end it's of the day. Play. It's you a know? power play. Who holds more power? Yeah. And I'm proud of Hana because she had a lot of feelings to mitigate, <laughs> mine included. I was like freaking out, you know, we were both freaking out, but like she was like very level headed, but I'm just honestly embarrassed or I just feel dirty and I feel guilt gutted that I wasn't I don't know. I wasn't walking the line that I felt that I've been telling people to walk and that I felt I, like I was walking. And and also, Priska, you have to give yourself permission that we will continue to co- fuck up despite yeah. us preaching all the time. You know, it's like it's always easier said than done. Yeah, it's right? true. So give yourself some grace. Thank you, Rox. And I think that's why we wanted to talk about this, because we all need a little grace when we mess up because yeah. we're we're want to fuck up. You know, I'm that's a proud walking example of <laughs> failure. So I'm ready to get into it, girl. <laughs> but it's like Buzz Lightyear, right? Like fall upward, <laughs> falling with style, <laughs> <laughs> falling up. I'm a hot mess. But yeah. you know what? Y'all love me. So Y'all it's all good. It. <laughs> but, so relatable. Yeah. But let's get into talking uh, topic one. Okay? OK, so we want to talk about our big failure. So there's nothing really analysis going on here, guys. We are just going to share with you all of our big fuck ups and like hopefully you can relate to it. And if you want to share your fuck ups with us, you know where to email us. We don't even have to. All right. It's hello. In case you so. needed it. Yeah. So Rox, I want to talk to you. What was like maybe like what was the first failure in your mind that affected your life? All right. Well, I say that this is probably synonymous with a lot of us and especially Asian American kids or kids of immigrant parents is getting into university. Yeah. Right. So like getting into Ivy League, getting into that big school, UCLA, USC or whatever. Hell you yeah. Know? I mean, I feel like our parents were buying us Harvard and UCLA sweatshirts before we were like, <laughs> you know, what I mean? exactly. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, I, I moved from New Jersey and uh, I had really poor grades in New Jersey. But then when I came to California, I was like, I'm going to start over. I'm going to become an A student. And then and then I did pretty well. But then um, a lot of you guys know that I start to stretch myself out too thin by wanting to become all things to all men. So then, uh, you know, did all these extracurriculars, you know, burned myself to the ground and became a very solid B student. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, nothing wrong with a good B. You know nothing what I'm saying? Wrong. I remember when I got my first B, Priscilla, in, in California, and then I cried. Oh I, like, I broke down, and then my parents were like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I got a B. <laughs> and they were just like, mm, yes, mm, that is a That, that is, is very bad. B <laughs> for bad. I think it really stems from like my only child must succeed syndrome that I talked about in previous episodes. And like uh, college was such a large determining factor factor of my identity Mm. and like the constant comparison from the community and like from my mother you know because she really wanted the best for me so it's like oh Emily got into Harvard you know like um John got into like Columbia and then all my friends from the east coast got into Cornell how do all Asian moms have such a roster you know what I mean they have an immediate roster if I bring up a friend from high school my mom will be like oh she went to Cornell and I'm like what the fuck I know I know I know they're just like oh like this because that was you know I think that's like the first big factor of like how the rest of your life is going to be for sure. them you sure. know That's so true. then um i applied to like all the ucs i didn't want to go to irvine irvine was my last choice school. um same <laughs> 
Well, right. I mean, nothing was worse than Riverside. Uh, no offense to you, no UC Riverside, <laughs> but at the time, it was oh, like Merced was also new. Remember? Oh, Merced was definitely new. Yeah, and everyone, yeah, everyone was like, "Oh, that's where the cows live." So I didn't want to go there because of the cows, which is so stupid. But like, it's so stupid, and I like got rejected. But I, I applied to Yale. I even got an interview, Ooh. and then, um, and then I like my dad drove me to L.A. from Diamond Bar to have interview with this lawyer, and I thought I was going to be a lawyer, and I thought I was going to be an Ivy Leaguer, and fulfill my dream, remember yes. Priscilla, yes. of me when I was like 12 years old, being like, I'm going to go to like Princeton University with a white boyfriend, be on the lacrosse team, and major in mathematics. Legally Blonde make it, made it look so easy. You know? She really did. She really Fucking did. Legally, it was like, like what? It's hard. And yeah. Then, <laughs> and, then, and then I was just like, how the fuck did I get rejected? Okay, you guys, Roxy got rejected from every single university Every single one. Two. Was it Riverside? You see... <laughs> I didn't even apply to Riverside. Oh, shit. Don't even... I'm sorry to all the Riverside people. Yeah, don't really even sorry. spill that shit around me. Um, one was UC Davis, and, and that was also with the cows, right? Yeah. UC yeah. Davis, and I'm like, I don't I don't know about that. And then it was like Irvine, right? UC Irvine, yeah. where it's like 90% Asian people. <laughs> and I got rejected from Santa Barbara. That's what I got you rejected know. from Santa Barbara, too. I cried, because that's I where cried. I wanted to go. <laughs> I was like, how is it that, like, this partying university, yeah. like, rejected me? Yeah. I, yeah. Like, it like was I- devastating. And I wanted to go there because Jack Johnson went there. And, you know, I was, like, burgeoning singer-songwriter. So I was like, I have to go there. But I have to. how brilliant you and I are. I mean, I think we're intelligent on <laughs> we're another so level. Yeah. We, we make great choices based on really important factors. Like Jack Johnson <laughs> exactly. once locked his bike to yours at like, you know, outside the dining commons that you see Santa Barbara. So I was like, this is where I'm going to meet my future husband. Obviously. Yes. Yes. Obvious. If, if it wasn't for you, see, I, I wouldn't have met you. Ugh. Oh my God. You know? Yeah, I so hate then, that thought. I hate so that thought. So then my failure turned into my greatest treasure. There you go. There you go. But Honestly, okay, when- <laughs> like, okay, so going back. So then like, I, I this really got to me because, you know, I was talking about the return of investment with my family. Yeah. I was like, fuck, this is really like a complete failure on my end. Because How like, did your parents I, react? They were like, oh, well... <laughs> At least it's a college. <laughs> hey, it's not Mount Sac, which is fine to go to Mount Sac too. But <laughs> but if you do the transfer, they look down on the whole transfer exactly. thing too. Even though it saves you a fuck ton of money, you should do like, it. I would recommend people to do the transfer. I would now. actually do a transfer too. So yeah. Then, um, so then, anyways, so that was like my first big failure. But then I would have to say. Just like I fucking loved UCI. Like it was totally not what I expected. I loved it so much. I thrived and I grew in such a loving community. I've met some of my all of my best friends at UCI, including Prisca and Rochelle and Leah, you know, and and Sheldon and all my homies and who I'm super close with to this day. So in in my opinion, my return of investment was a thousandfold. Oh, 100 percent. And I I think what I love about UCI is that everyone who goes there is, um, well, they call it like the school of like UCLA rejects. <laughs> no, that is so true. Yeah. And also our mascot's an anteater. Love it or hate it. Love I know. It love it or hate it. Love it or hate it. But like, I think there's a certain, obviously it's not across the board, but there was at the time a certain amount of humility in everybody. Mm-hmm. And so everyone was so down because there was no like pride. You know, we were all like Asian <laughs> failures, you know? And so <laughs> we came together as failures. Yeah. So we made it work. But I think, 
I think a lot of y'all's favorite YouTube entertainers, a lot of them came from UC Irvine because it, you know, I don't know whatever the vibe was. It was like, fucking make it work. You no, know, we're the school of like artistic Asians. Yeah. Like, like dance teams, Kappa Modern that went on America's Best Dance Crew. Yeah. See, yeah. the best dance teams come from UC Irvine and uh, singers and, and performers, actors, a lot of them came out of UCI. They're all, you know, from there and like b- great business school. But okay, so taking it back to when that was the only acceptance letter you got other than um, Davis. <laughs> What was going through your head? What was Roxy? I can just see you like angsty Roxy in your bedroom in your house in Diamond Bar. What posters are on the wall? Paint us a picture. And like, what was going through your head? Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Duh. obviously from Duh. Titanic. Yeah. And- I mean, that goes without saying. Come on. I know. And then Backstreet Boys. For some reason, I was into Nick Carter. I don't know. Totally not my vibe anymore. I'm into Kevin Richardson now. But um, hey, we you all know, grow I, up. I was. I think. Do you remember? Prisca, like the string of rejection letters you got, like yeah. one right after the other, everything came in a small envelope. Yeah. And it was overwhelming because it was like, I just had got, it, I literally got email to deal with college um, online applications. Do you remember that? So mm-hmm. I, I think it was just overwhelming because I'd never used the internet really. And so it was like, <laughs> I had like used it for little things, but I hadn't used it for anything official or important. Like I yeah. used it for AIM, you know, like yeah. chatting with friends, but it was like, so uh, like, such an affront to open all those and just to like have the blood drain from your face. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh my God. I know know? it was, it was terrible. And I was just like, you know, what is it? The five stages of grief. And then Mm. at the end it's just like acceptance or at the beginning, (laughs) it's just like, I I will accept my fate, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and I go into the school that I absolutely don't want to go to, but then what choice do you have? At least it's a UC school, right? Yeah, Um, definitely. But I would say that I have to think, anyways, this goes back to my mentality about failure later on in the dialogue, but that was sort of like what I went through. But Prisca, let's talk about your first failure. Okay. 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 Are we, yeah, let's let's swap these failure let's stories. Jump, let's jump this around let's a little bit. Let's go from like first failure, second <laughs> failure, and then like now. So, so I I very much so relate to. I cried when I found out I got into UCI, or I I cried when my with mom was like, or with like, no, like my mom was like, so it looks like you're going to UC Irvine, and I was like, don't say that. And like, <laughs> cried. Um, yeah, it was so stupid. I really uh, want to hear every, I know that a majority of our listeners are from UCI. So yeah. Like, sorry. if you guys also experience, uh, we want to hear yeah, your acceptance hear letter. Because <laughs> we love it now, obviously. Yeah. I, I think it's a great school. But I 100% relate to that story. But I, I would say, like, the first failure that threw me into, like, an existential tailspin mm-hmm. was, um, so you, you guys know I'm a pastor's kid. And, um, my entire life, it was always like, if I was in Sunday school, I would be that asshole kid. Like if they're like, today we're talking about the story of Daniel. I'm like, know it. I already know it. I already, and like go and like start telling like the, the story points. I'm like, see, then he gets in the like lion's den, but because like he was like vegetarian, like he didn't like get eaten by the lions. Yeah, I was such a, I was gross. I was so gross. And then like, you know, but it was specifically in church because like in school it it wasn't the same, you know, but church was like my thing. And anytime like, you know, Sunday school teachers were getting on my ass, I'm like, my dad is Timothy Liang and (laughs) let me talk to him. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let me just figure out, let me figure all this out. 
when I was in high school, I was like trying to be a leader. I was like, you know, leader of our church worship team. And so when I got to college, I was like, cool, this is a new ladder to climb. Mm -hmm. And I was like, great. So first I became like an assistant small group leader. Then I became a small group leader. Then I got on the worship team and I, and then I became a worship team leader. And I think this was all within like two and a half years. Like, you know, I climbed that ladder. Like it was my bitch. Yeah. Um, And it was one of those years where um, I was becoming a third year and usually there'd be fourth years above you who are worship leaders to kind of teach you. But for Mm -hmm. whatever reason, there were no, no fourth years. Everyone had already graduated. Mm -hmm. So we were figuring it out on our own. So I became the worship leader and which means you're, you choose the songs, you lead the band and you're the lead singer and you play, uh, and I played an instrument. So it kind of all coalesced. Uh So I was like, bitch, I made it. You were like the star, (laughs) you're the Daenerys Targaryen before she went crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was like, here are my baby dragons. Let's go, bitch. Like, here we go. You know, I, I had I had everything that I thought I wanted. I was a small group leader. I still felt like shit all the time. I felt like shit. Um, I, I thought it would feel better. You know what I mean? When I was a first year, second year looking at these worship leaders, I was like, oh, my God, they have it made. Like they literally their life is perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. And so finally I got it. And I had never led a band before I realized Uh I had never been in any like actual leadership position, you know, and I had to deal with um, musicians hating working with me because, you know, I'm I'm an emotional person and I write emotional emails. At least I used to, you know, and so um, and I I didn't know how to give clear instructions, which which is the first it's a recipe for disaster, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't know how to give people clear instructions, but it was so difficult because I think I was more focused on on maintaining that status than I was on like actually being prepared for it, you know? Mm-hmm. But I would spend hours listening to a track, trying to break things down, trying to understand what was going on. I always had a hard time choosing songs that people liked, which is like silly, but it's a real thing. Cause like people want you to pick the cool hip worship songs, you know? And if you're not in with it, like, uh, like people kind of see you as old hat really quickly. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I had musicians walk out on me during rehearsals. What? I had, yeah, I literally had a musician walk out on me because he couldn't stand like the fact that I didn't know how to lead the band. But it was devastating because I didn't know what to do. And then there was no real leadership to try to train me or try to, you know, help me um, figure out what I was doing wrong. It was just kind of like people were just letting me sink. And I do remember one of my friends who was on the team he literally yelled at everyone during during one of the rehearsals and he's like, Priscilla has been singing this song wrong in the wrong cadence and nobody told her. Because I'm from like a small church, so I don't know a lot of shit. So we were doing this song and I thought I was singing it correctly, but he like, it like nobody was trying to, everyone was just like watching it happen. You know what like I mean? Like no one was there to support you. No one was there to guide you or at least give you yeah. some context. Yeah. So it was like probably the most lonely I'd ever been. And so one day um, while our pastor was away on a missions trip, the worship team like leaders, uh-huh. they let me go. And it was in the middle of the year. They didn't have even a contingency plan. So it was like so bad that they like just couldn't stand working with me anymore. And it was like so heartbreaking. Like I can't even, I begged him for my job back. I begged him Wait, on my hold hands on. and did, did they? Okay. So no, everybody was just watching this happen to you, but no one offered any constructive criticism no. or like they just, just, it was just like, oh, you didn't hit it right. So then you're off. Yeah. I mean, I probably did it for like a quarter and a half and then I was let go. So mm-hmm. 
you know, honestly, rocks, we were all college kids, right? We were all college kids, even though they were a year or two older than me. Like we were all college kids. None of us knew what we were doing. And I can see that so clearly now, but Mm -hmm. I couldn't see it then. Right. And, you know, since then this person, I was later reinstated and I was offered an apology because the way it happened was kind of shitty. Yes. It changed me. I was never the same after that. Um, can and, I, and can I ask you something? Because yeah. because to me, to me, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like a failure. It felt like you were set up to fail. Do you know what I mean? That's a good, that's a good distinction. It's, and like, I, it's like just me hearing the story this yeah. way. Like, did you feel like you failed because you couldn't meet people's unwritten expectations? Yeah, I think that I wasn't ready. I think mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for the role. And I don't think I knew how to be ready. And it wasn't for how I think that's fair that in a way, maybe they weren't trying to set me up for success, but I was set up for failure, whether you want to say it was intentional or not. You know, I I don't think it was intentional, but I was literally like, I wasn't ready for the role. I didn't know how to do it. And there was no guidance on teaching me how to get there. I just felt like you were in an unfortunate circumstance. It was just like a fire hose in the face. You know that feeling when you get dumped into the middle of a group project and it's clear nobody Oof. knows who you are and clearly they, they are all clickish and no one Hashtag likes you. relatable content, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like you immediately feel othered or you feel like you're against a whole group or yeah. like you're not assimilating in an organic way and naturally it's like, oh, there must be something wrong with me. So you like deem that. Yeah, but I will say this because, you know, I still have to go to the same church. I think I was still singing on the team. Yeah. Um, which was even more awkward, you know, because it was like a huge demotion. But I yeah. will say that what I gained from it in the end and in total hindsight, because it, it, it was definitely like darkest night of the soul situation, you know, at the time. Right. Um, like 19, 19, 20 year old Priscilla. That was the darkest moment of my entire fucking life, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think what I gained from it was one, it challenged my lifelong pursuit of this Christian church ladder. Mm hmm. And if I wasn't thrown off the rung, if I wasn't just thrown off the ladder and had to lay on the ground looking up at the ladder, I wouldn't even have understood that the ladder itself was an artifice. Yes. You know, because I was I've been on on the ladder my entire life. Like, I think the first thing I did when I left the house as a newborn, first thing I did leaving the house was like going to church. Yeah. You know, so I had I had literally been born with a rattle in my hand and my other hand on the the rung of the ladder. And I'd been climbing that ladder my entire life. Right, That must real hit real different. Yeah. And I was suddenly thrown off in free fall, landed on the ground and then was like, oh, this ladder is not everything. This is just a piece of existence. Yes. You know, and so I. I'm grateful for that, but fuck Roxy. That shit was, that was, that shit was hard. And it's traumatizing too. Yeah. Yeah. Extremely traumatizing. And I ended up coming back and and doing it, but honestly, it didn't have such a hold on me anymore. And that probably made me a better leader too. Cause it wasn't Mm -hmm. just about me trying to maintain status. It was like, cool, this is a job. Let me do it. Good. You know, for you. I love that. I love that. So that was my first big one. So post UCI. Mm Mm-hmm. I know that life was very murky and very confusing, but like, what was that? What, like, how would you define that kind of period of time? 
you know, I had this really weird feeling and uh, you're going to be coming over today to see my new apartment. So um, I'm going to explain to you exactly what it is that I'm feeling now versus what I felt during that time. And um, I can't believe my life is the way it is now. Like I could never have imagined that in my 20s. And like my 20s was so fucking hard. As you know, you were there with me the entire time. And, you know, trying to go down this unbeaten path in this industry and like as a woman, as a queer person of color, like everything, like um, it it just felt like I wasn't able to secure a full-time job anywhere after college. Like I applied everywhere and I didn't have a foot in the door. You know, we didn't really go to film school. And so we didn't have those connections that, you know, we were trying to be like NBC pages and PAs and stuff. I remember you were applying for like studio PA jobs. Like every single day to something. And either it was just like, I was hitting a dead end. And so, you know, I ended up doing that job with pepper and, you know, I told you about my door to door soliciting. I was grasping at straws just to make sure that I could have enough money to get by every single month. And it was so hard to have that big vision because you're just like living paycheck to paycheck. And so I felt like I was constantly failing. And I think what was scary was just the grand uncertainty during that time. And like, I become conditioned to a lot. But the great thing about this was that I started to understand it was okay to feel this way because like I was constantly just doing a temp job, then another temp job and like not being happy with it and like moving on and sort of being okay with it because you didn't have a chance to process it. You have to somehow make another $300 somewhere. Yeah. You know, but what's funny about us, I think now that we're like lining these up, I do remember that we kind of took on our parents' mentality of having a a moving roster of everyone's jobs around us. When we would catch up, it'd be like, did you hear about Sarah? She's like, she got like part-time at this like lawyer firm. Did you hear about like whatever, like, uh, you know, Sammy, he got into like law school this week. And we had like a constant moving roster of like where people were living, what situation they were living in and what jobs they had because that we were obsessed yeah, with X that. and X was working with the Duplass brothers and this exactly. person's working as the post supervisor of like this big TV show and I'm like um, I'm just like <laughs> trying to make lemonade for people on the side <laughs> of the street while making my own videos so it's like and I'm not even like I didn't catch the YouTube thing not that I wanted I wanted that because I was like oh that's working but I was too late and now looking back on it I'm like oh that was never me in the first place anyways so like, it was it was just really fucking hard. And so like my survival mentality sort of took over. So that became more important than mm. me trying to be someone or be something, you know, yeah. and I think that time humbled me into who I am today, where it's just like anything's just everything and nothing really is that important or no one's too famous. You know what I mean? Yes. Like get through it. Yeah. Um, but I will say the turning point was for my first film, The Tribe. OK, so okay. that was like the first determining factor of like okay I'm ready to play with the big leagues now and so during this time everybody was telling me your second film's harder to get off the ground than your first film because if your first film's not a commercial success that's it you're done you're done you failed like that's that's really the big failure is oh you failed as a filmmaker if your first film get you know doesn't get recognized doesn't get into a big festival so I had all this pressure being like it must make Sundance it must make South by it must yeah. make but I've never even come close even to this day to any of those festivals you know <laughs> daytime Emmy <laughs> daytime Emmy <clears throat> you know, it's like I don't need this is the determining factor of yeah. whether or not I'm able to pursue my dreams yeah so then. Um, so then I made the film. I remember with Sheldon out in with the middle of Sheldon. nowhere. 
and uh, it didn't make any of those festivals. Um, to this day, the film has not broken even. <laughs> it was only a hundred thousand um, dollars. There was no outcome. Uh, don't look at the IMDb. Well, I I have learned to not look at the ratings for my films because people are brutal. Um, <laughs> And you can't please everyone. And uh, I was like, fuck. It was great when it happened. You know, there was a lot of support behind it, you know, genre festivals. And there were people who have written good to mediocre to not so good reviews on the movie. Um, And I was like, this is it, you know. But somehow my circumstances have blessed me with people who notice my talent regardless. And then, you know, I got offered my second movie. And then now I'm just like. You know, I, I, I'm repped and I'm doing this full time. And it just goes to show that, like, everybody that was saying that at that time made me so scared. All those isms are bullshit. They're, it's literally as superstitious as, like, shit with Chinese sayings. Like, it's, it's superstition. Like, I think it's easy to tell a young aspiring filmmaker um, that they don't have that much time. But now you know you have so much time to grow and learn. How could your first film be the pinnacle of any kind of success story? That'd be sad, almost. You know, because you know what happens is that they fucking blow up like, oh, Ari Aster's first film was hereditary. Right. You know, first time filmmaker, blah, 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 you know, a huge success. And, and, and I think whatever, you know, industry you're in, you have those people that are like elevated to the very front. But I'm kind of glad that's not me because how much pressure would that be to so like make pressure. my second film? Like, even better so than my first factors. blow up one, right? There, you know, there's so many factors behind those, like, one-time success people you know there's so mm-hmm. many other elements maybe they had a, a really talented producer maybe they had a lot of money behind them maybe they had like uh, like you maybe they're a savant you know but that's like the zero 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 point one percent but can i ask you how now watching the tribe are you proud of that film yes this, yeah how do you feel about it like what are your sentiments actually you know what babe it really depends on when i'm watching it and who <laughs> i'm watching it with oh it's so weird. I don't know if you feel this way when you listen to your EP, mm-hmm. but it's like sometimes I really love it. And I'm like, go young Roxy, go 26 <laughs> year old Roxy. Yeah. You know, and then sometimes I'm like, wow, I am really just not getting that right. Or like, but then, <laughs> you know, I think I really have to commend my old self for going for it. Yeah. Because you had courage that maybe you don't have now, almost. I mean, Priscilla, what do you do when everyone's telling you, no, you can't do it? Or like, mm. no, it's not smart. Like, what if no one believes in you? Like, what drives that, still that will to like, see something through? I don't know. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. Like, like it's, it's, it's almost madness a little bit. So. It's madness. Yeah. I just thought to myself, yeah, if I could just do this one thing in my life, I could say at least I directed a feature film. Yeah. Um, But thank fucking universe that it like um, panned out for me. Yeah. Yeah. But I, it failed. I will say loud and proud. The movie failed. At the time, did that change how you saw yourself? When the, (laughs) so the marketing team did a really good job. Mm. Um, The one thing that I wish that I knew or uh, now that I'm older and looking back is that I sort of gave it over to them. I was like, you know, do whatever you want with the movie. Mm -hmm. Like I've never done this before. So as long as we get the ratings up and like get, get views and all that, like that's all that matters. So they branded my movie as a horror movie, which it (gasps) actually isn't. Oh, it's a very slow burn. I would say like science fiction grounded cerebral sci-fi movie, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, it's a post-apocalyptic movie and uh, it's very slow and they, they cut it like a, like a horror film, like E 
even the trailer was like, you know, oh, zombies probably were going to show up and all that shit. So then, like, and horror websites were writing about it and, like, showing our trailer and all that stuff and our poster and our actors. And and then so the audience got really excited. The demographic got excited because they're like, oh, yeah, this looks dope. We're going to... But it wasn't what they expected. I see. I see. So then the the ratings, like, dropped because it was... They're like, this is very slow. Where's all the action? Like, blah, blah, blah. And then so... um, so you know it wasn't what you were going for it was like false advertising basically false advertising but it did get a lot of views you know like right away from the very top it was like one of the most pirated like um movies the first two weeks oh my gosh that's crazy rocks i didn't know that yeah i mean uh i wish that it wasn't pirated so i could actually break even but you know it's fine i mean (laughs) it is on amazon prime if you would like to yes give it a stream Yes, the tribe. And, uh, you know, my heart broke, Priska. Like, wow. My heart broke so much. I was like, I put so much love in it. And I thought, you know, I was like, I knew it wasn't perfect, but I didn't think that. Well, the internet's pretty brutal. Yeah. Especially when you don't, it's not geared towards an Asian American community where people, you know, are just like supporting you. It's like literally just like out in the open. No one knows who you are. And just like, yeah go for it you know like here's my heart go and stab it five trillion times right definitely um but you know my friend Alyssa down she's an incredible director um she told me she's like i had to do her australian accent don't look at the ratings (laughs) just don't look at it just nope just nope just don't look at it you know she's like you did your best and that is that it's out there great work you know and i'm like just keep that, on moving on. That's it. That's it. Yeah. It's like you did your best at that time. Exactly. Then just leave it out there. You know, that was 26 year old Roxy. Yeah. You worked with what you knew within your realm of knowledge. You did your absolute fucking best. And it's like, I think we've talked about this briefly, but like when Abe says, when you come to the studio to record, people have this idea that like you you have to become like the, whatever, like the next like um, yeah, Jimi Hendrix. You have to have yeah. that solo. But he's like, you can only offer what you are capable of offering. It's a mirror. It holds up a mirror to where you are and this place in time. You can't be, you can, you can maybe be 110% better than you normally are, but you're not going to be 200% better than you normally are. You God, are just bringing I love yourself. Abe. I'm so <laughs> fucking smart, dude. <laughs> I could just listen to him talk. Like you're just spewing his wisdom all the time on this pod. And I'm like, yeah. Can't wait for him to spew wisdom on this pod. I know, I know. And We're definitely gonna. Else. He's, you know, he's lived some years, and he's also an extreme introvert. So I think, even if we experience the same interactions, he reads, and obviously he has this like history in in um, getting a degree in psychology. So like he has such a different view than I do. I'm like, her hair was kind of weird. And he's like, she seems deeply sad about the exist- existential crisis. She's having. <laughs> having. <I'm> like, oh, <laughs> looking deep into the layers. Um, okay. So Priska now on to you. Okay. Biggest career failure. Yeah. Biggest career failure. I, you know, it's okay. I just want to say like hearing you talk about the tribe is so crazy because for me on the outside of what was going on with you, I was like, Roxy fucking directed a feature. Like in film school, that's all any of us had ever wanted to do. And I was Mm -hmm. like, tick, like she got it. You know what I mean? She Mm -hmm. did it. And I Mm -hmm. didn't, I know we talked about it, but I don't think I've ever actually heard you frame it as anything but a success. And to actually hear what was going on internally, like Rox, that's, that's a big pill to swallow. Um, Mianzi again. Yeah. Saving face again. Yeah. 
you know. So, you know, in terms of me, like career, I I had kind of a very split career because rocks like I know you in many shapes and forms. You were still pursuing film and art. You know, yeah, that's always been the big picture. Yeah, always. And maybe you've done little gigs and things on the side, but you've either been producing or you've been PAing or you've been directing or you've been, you know, all of these things have been in one direction. For me, I think my mom was very big on me getting a practical job. Mm-hmm. Um, she is an uh, accountant, an auditor. If she gave me five dollars and I went to the candy store and I bought I, I, and I told her I bought three pieces of candy, she would be like, cool, that's four twenty three. Give me back the um, 77 cents. Yeah. Give me back the 77 cents. And like, that's how, how exacting she can be. When I decided to do film, my mom was like, not, not happy because she kind of knew like I was going to do that. But she was like, if you, if I let you do film, you have to take on a a, a practical second major. Mm -hmm. So she wanted me to sign up to be a teacher or like, you know, to um, go into education. And so I signed up for a couple classes and I, I just was terrible at it. I just didn't have the right. I I understood like the mindset in, you know, every school has its own school of thought. Mm -hmm. And I took a couple classes and then just stopped. I was like, this is not my bag. But my mom had always, you know, really imprinted into me the, the value of practicality of always having a backup plan. So when I when I left school, I started by working at that Chinese TV company that we talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, I was actually laid off from there, too, because they just didn't need me anymore, which is like, okay, that was fine. And so I had this choice and I feel like I've been faced with this choice time and time again. And I still am. Should I pursue music and film or should I pursue like a quote unquote a real career, like a moneyed career? So I applied for all the jobs and I got this job at this little startup called Dog Vacay. It, it was out of this um, little uh, um, startup incubator uh, called Science. Uh, it was out in Silicon Beach, which I think I talked about last episode. And um, it was a darling startup company. And I, I was employee number seven. And I poured all of my blood, sweat and tears in that. And Roxy knew like that was my entire life. I was like at the forefront of social media, Mm -hmm. social media branding was brand new. And I was like one of the young guns, you know, in that sphere, even like I wasn't that good, but I was positioned in this space where you could succeed really quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, you could get a post. Like I would have little puppy posts. I would make that went viral every day. You were constantly on your phone 24 seven doing your job though. Yeah, it was rewarding in that it was the startup world. So like every day something's changing. When I got there, we had our a million dollars in funding and then we got three and and, and then $4 million in funding and then another $5 million wow. in funding. And we were like in the press all the time. Yeah. And we went from, you know, a 10 person company when I started, um, to, I, was, I was employee number seven, but like, you know, I think I got hired on the same day as a Do couple they other call people. call you employee number seven? I, was, I, I mean, no, but it's like a thing with startups <laughs> because it, it's basically letting people know that you're in on the ground floor. Ah, you know what I'm mm, saying? Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, no, they didn't call me employee number seven. I didn't have like a name tag that it was like employee number seven. I'm I Priscilla. No, you're employee number seven. Sit down and shut the fuck up. But like at the time, like it was like this small, tiny company. And I actually, uh, for a couple of days because of like water damage, me and my, the CEO shared a desk for a couple of days. Like, and I always remembered that because it was like this time that I was like, we're going to remember this, like photos of Bill Gates in his garage. You know what I'm saying? Like that was like what it felt like at the time. 
And so even like at one point, you know, coffee meets bagel, the mm-hmm. founder called me to give her social media advice. Oh, like wanted wow, the cold dog bacon wanted advice from us. Yeah. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was fucking like 23. I didn't know what I was doing, but anyhow, it was the most exciting environment. And the constant thing for me was Roxy would be like, when are you going to quit to do music? You and my friend Caroline were the most, honestly, it was the most annoying buzz buzzing in my ear all the time because you'd be like, yeah, I'm like, I got a raise. Literally, literally. And, and honestly, like I, I'm so grateful for it. But at the time when you're compromising your values, you don't want to hear it. Yeah. And I was like, I'm making money. I'm finally being able to pay back like loans and debts. I can pay you rent on time every month, Roxy. What do you want from me? Like, you know, and like it was every quarter Roxy would be like, cool. I would be like, I got a raise. I got a great review. I got like a, all this, you know, I, I'm moving up in my career. My titles change. And she'd be like, so when are you leaving to do music? When are you leaving to do music? And Caroline would say the same thing. She's like, I kind of don't want to talk to you until you let me know when you're leaving to do music. And I just kept moving up in my career and, you know, moving up in my status, learning a ton about marketing, which I so appreciate helping build this brand that was, you know, we had, we were national, you know, it was a big deal. Like other countries were starting to copy our model, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, from a company standpoint, I think we flew a little too close to the sun Mm. and went through a process where we got a little little cocky, maybe didn't do the right um, uh, type of work. Anyhow, right before this happened, I got a five-star review. Um, my annual review was was stellar. And me and my other coworker, Nikki, we were actually afraid for our other coworker's job. because we So we were so intensely trying to save her job because we knew that a round of layoffs might be coming. Because mm-hmm. they didn't say it, but you could just feel it in the air. Something was going on. And so I, but both of us got five-star reviews. So we were like, we're fine. We got to save our friend, you know? And basically what our CEO did was he, he, he fired our VP of marketing and he brought in this, I think 26 or 27 year old kid, um, who was in way over his head. And like within his first month, he was like, you have to, you have to let go of two people (sighs) on your marketing team. So go have at it. So this guy, I don't want to say his name, but I was pulled into an office. A meeting mysteriously showed up on your calendar, on my calendar. Never a good sign. When a meeting mysteriously shows up on your calendar, you better run for the fucking hills and start saving all your files. Save your files, then run. So, cause you can't do both at the same time. And as I was walking into this meeting, the CEO slipped in too. And he was like, I just wanted to be here for this. Feigning, um, compassion. And he's like, you've, you've meant so much to our company. But it just looks like the it was some bullshit response, like the career growth that you want. It just isn't here for you. The the position you want to get to is just not here for you. And I was like, fuck all you. Like, I didn't say that, but I was devastated. Like my entire body went numb. My fingers went numb. And I was like, I'm not going to cry. Um, and I looked them dead in the eye and I was like, all of the bullshit they were kind of, you know, all the bullshit sh- shit you say to someone when you're firing them, they said. And he claimed that I was asking for more money. He was like, during your review, you were asking for more, more money. I'm like, actually, I wasn't. I was asking for a raise for my coworker. I was ask- literally asking for a raise for my coworker. And I was like, please don't put that at me. Like, that's if it, it, this. Let's call a spade a spade. 
And, you know, it was a it was a fine transition. And I left that day and uh, my friend Nikki got laid off on this at within the same hour. And she called me. She's like, please say you didn't drive away yet. So I looped back around and I picked her up. We went to a bar. We slammed tequila shot after tequila shot after. Te- and I think I sent Roxy like a stream of like inebriated texts like, you know, I just got really laid off. And um, it was honestly one of the weirdest worst days of my life because I felt that everything I had devoted the past four or five years to. But the funny thing is everybody started saying, well, great. Now you can do music. Well, great. Now, great. Isn't this great? You can go do music now. And at the time I was still grieving everything. I'm like, fuck y'all. Y'all don't know me. Y'all don't know me. You know, are you fucking kidding me? Like I just got laid off. Let's talk about my career here. I was so mad at so many people. I was so embittered. I was like, nobody understands. Nobody gets it. Mm-hmm. No, like, you know, I was just, I was like a, an a- angry cat in the corner, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it was like, this light bulb came on. Um, oh, and one thing I will say was like, after, you know, after we got laid off, um, some of my coworkers organized like a, a, a goodbye happy hour for us. And one of the best things about it was going to that, was even like, you know, now at this point we were like a 70 to a hundred percent company. I kind of don't exactly remember, but we were like much bigger, like pretty much 10 X. Um, and people that came up to me that I didn't even know very well. And they were like, I'm so mad that this company is firing mm. you because you were, you set the culture here. Uh, you were a big part of setting the culture. Here. You were part of the foundation building girl. Yeah. And I was really serious. Anytime there were new hires of like meeting them, take, like making sure they had someone to go to lunch with, like being very serious about it. And I made it like a, a, a specific point to myself was that one, I was never going to throw anyone under the bus. And two, I was never going to step over somewhere to someone to get to where I wanted to be. Yeah. It was just a choice I made. And, and, and it was an, a choice you had to actively remind yourself of, because I'm not saying it was always easy because there's certain people that I wanted to throw under the bus and there's certain people I wanted to step over, but I made it a conscious decision not to do that. And it was that happy hour was a reminder to me that it was worth it. Even though in the midst of all that failure, it was worth it. A couple weeks later, I have this light bulb moment and I call like Roxy and I call my friend Caroline. And I'm like, I think guys, like this is crazy. I know you're going to think, I, I think I'm going to go into music. And Roxy was like, and like, <laughs> it, was like, it was like not even information. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't think you understand. Like I came to this conclusion that I'm going to go and do music full time. And you're like, yeah, Priscilla, we all knew you were going to do that. We've been waiting for you to literally take that step. So that take was your the blessing in disguise. You know, like, yeah, I had timing. to come to it. Exactly. And so I would just say it was a blessing in disguise, even though it was very difficult. I'm not saying for those of you who've gotten laid off or might get laid off in the near future, I'm not saying it's easy. It's fucking difficult. But I did get a severance package. I did <laughs> have money vested that I got a return on a little bit. And I then had the courage to launch a Kickstarter. Thank you, Sean Mira, for pushing me to do that. I recorded an EP. I've since filmed three music videos. Hell yeah. I've toured. I've traveled. Uh, I started a music program at Hotel Indigo. Never would have done any of that. Never would have gotten there in any sort of reasonable time. I could have stayed there for 10 years and still been saying, I'm thinking of doing an EP. It's hard to, to, and also the older you get and the more comfortable you get, it's going to be yeah. harder for you to take that step. You know, um, I know we're coming on to oh, shit. Okay. Hour okay. right now, but I want to talk about one more uh, indication of failure. Let's and do it. This is 
Um, we talked about going, you know, childhood failure or like college failure, career failure, but also relationship failure. Oof. Oof. Okay. Okay. I think when I was younger, I was so afraid of fucking up my relationship. Yeah. Like I was so, my, my parents made it seem, you know, they were there each other's first loves. Wow. And uh, they've been together ever since, you know, they're still happily married. And I, there was a picture of like painting people who are divorced, like they failed their marriage or their marriage failed or whatever. I mean, obviously now I looked, I look at relationships completely differently. I'm just like, has it lived its cycle? Have I learned what I needed to learn? But back then I was so afraid of dating. I was so afraid of if the first one isn't the one then I, then I failed. Right. And I feel like it really fucked up like my, my relationships because um, not fucked up my relationships, but the way that I approach relationships. I remember in certain long-term relationships you were in, you would almost go into a fugue state because leaving was not an option, but happiness was not an option in the relationship either. And I think a lot of people suffer from that without talking about it, which I know we're going to touch on in a later episode. It's true. Um, But like just to talk about this, especially for women, yeah. Like not being married by 30 or like not having children at a certain time or like our eggs are fucking frying and yeah. dying, you know, like, yeah. like, did you, are you, did you fail as a mother? Did you fail as a woman? Did you fail as a whatever the fuck? Like, I feel like this is such a huge thing. Like, and I want to know, I mean, this is something that I'm still struggling with that I want to tell myself that I didn't fail as a woman or as a mother or whatever yet because I'm not there yet, but I'm turning 33 in a couple of weeks. So it's like, this is still something I'm, I'm actively processing. It's top of mind. And I would, I would just ask you, cause I know, I know this was a, a big moment, but I would say kind of a turning point for you was when your five year relationship mm-hmm. ended, came yeah. to a close yeah. amicably, amicably mostly. Yes. What did that feel like along with the hurt? Like, like we can save talking about the hurt another time, but in terms of this failure topic, how did you frame that? Oh, I felt freedom. Whew. And and also, I still feel free. Yeah. If I were to be completely honest with myself, like Prisca, I was talking to my friend last week who is in her 50s. Yeah. And she was like, and I want to ask you this question too, because I, I feel like the way I frame relationships is because of my family. Wow. And, and she was like, who are you without your parents? Hmm. Eliminate them. Eliminate their existence right now. Yeah. Who are you without them? What are your desires without them? What are your needs without them? Wow. And I was like, you know, and, and you know, I've been with my partner, Ja, for almost a year now. And oh, wow. wow. He, yeah. That's and he and I, um, you know, he he comes over, you know, we see each other once a week and yeah. we spend time together. But I just he doesn't really sleep over, which is fine with me. And we really enjoy a relationship. He's married and his his wife is about to have a baby. And Aww. You know, it's, but there's so much love and, and I'm so happy with this process that we have, Mm. not process, but like relationship that we have, because it's not leading towards like marriage or it's not leading towards like having to live together. Cause I really love my own space and I love all these things. Yeah. So I think I'm still struggling to like counter this traditional structure of what marriage and love and relationships are. But like, it's hard when, you know, everyone looks at a woman and there's still a patriarchal, misogynistic, you know, aspect of like, well, you haven't done this at a certain point and like you're not there at a certain point, you know? Sure, sure. I get that. I, I don't. And do you feel that? I would say this. First of all, 
everything is a construct and marriage itself is a construct because women didn't have any fucking economic or political freedoms. And so we needed marriage like as literally to have any sort of status Mm -hmm. so yeah obviously lots of patriarchal elements (laughs) it's an artifact of an old world Mm -hmm. um it is one i have decided to partake in something that was very important to me was doing it on my own terms and because Mm -hmm. i wanted to when i was ready because um like with my husband's family they're very traditional like my family's traditional but like more in the christian sense less so in Mm -hmm. the chinese sense Mm -hmm. um but his family is very traditional and almost like we were dating for i think three years before i met his family because he's like when you meet them it's because we're gonna get married you know Mm -hmm. And, and it's not like we met them on the engagement day but like within a year I think we had gotten engaged mm-hmm. from maybe a year or two but he was like I don't want you to meet them until because they're just going to keep pressuring me about marriage mm-hmm. once they meet you and now every time I see them they talk they ask me why aren't you pregnant yet you know what I'm saying so like his family is very traditional so I'm actually very proud of him because what he's had to fight against is much greater in terms of that pressure like he like I, I was like I do not want you to propose to me until you feel ready you know, that was like something that we set very clear boundaries with ourselves. I was like, I do not want to f- like get married and then like deal with the fact that you weren't ready for it or I wasn't ready for it. I don't want to be there. That's right, just not something right. that's, that's like, very powerful to for you to be able to set that boundary down, you know? Well, yeah, I think it was like because, you know, the relationship that I got out with uh, got yes. out of previously. And that yes. was my fugue state where I was just like in it. And I was like, I lost my virginity to this person. I cannot ever leave them like this. Yeah. Is it, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like his mom had bought us like a condo and we were going to live there. And I was like, I guess I'm going to pop out babies. I'm ready to go. And then I met Abe and everything changed. It was like like the wool that had been covering my eyes was pulled away, you know, and I realized I was like, I don't, I don't want to waste time pursuing something that I'm not pleased with, you know? So at every point, like even the way, like we got married, like we did it the way we wanted to, you know, and now quarantine weddings are all the rage, (laughs) but we did it. Like we did our wedding the way we wanted to with 20 people outside in Joshua tree, because I was like, I don't want the pressure of having to have a certain kind of wedding be the reason why we have a certain kind of wedding. And I'm not saying the way we did it was better or worse. Sometimes I wish we had a bigger wedding because then we could have shared it with more people. But I'm so happy that like at the end of the day, we did it the way we wanted to and felt that that felt was right for us. We're definitely going to touch this like relationship topic because it felt like in another episode, because I feel like you and Abe really nourished each other and that you two grew together, you know, but like if you never met Abe. Yeah. If would you do you think you would have still been stuck in that relationship with that previous? I partner? might have. And honestly, Roxy, like you're afraid of like not getting married. I think now my nightmare is if I had married him, mm. like I would have been so unhappy. You know, right. I would have been miserable. I would have been stuck. And that would have been its own failure. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Amazing. Even though on the outside, it might look like, oh, she got married. You know, she popped out babies. But the misery that I would have felt, the, the the entrapment that I would have experienced, that would have made me a fuck. That would have been a failure of standing up for what I actually wanted in my life. Beautiful. All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this quick message from potentially us or not us. Stay tuned. <laughs> but probably us. 
Coyotes, we love hanging out with you every week. If you're liking what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us a lot, and we will be eternally grateful. Okay, bye! Okay, guys, welcome back. Um, And so I know this pod has been going a little bit longer than usual. So what we want to do right now is just talk about how we've learned to respond to failure and kind of just like wrap up what we've been talking about. So Roxy, I want to ask you, do you think other people care when you fail? Like, do, do you think it's as big to them as it is to you in your own mind? I have to say that I'm lucky because mm. <laughs> like... I don't have, like, you have a huge church community. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. growing up, or like, you've always had people around you watching you, sure, sure, wondering sure. Yeah. what it is that you're doing. I have a gift of sort of disappearing sometimes, <laughs> or like living in my own little bubble, unless I have the specific, very few people reach out to me. And it's so weird because, like, when I was younger, I would like look at my Capricorn horoscope and and be like, oh, Capricorn uh, only keeps very few people close to her. And I was like, that's not me. I want to be friends with everyone. I'm going to be as close to everybody as much as I can. But now it's actually so true. Wow. Yeah. You know, the older you get too, huh? The ones who have access to me, like, are very few. Like, I could probably count all of you on on one hand, you know? And like. um, I'm the pinky. (laughs) you're obviously one of them and I just think that I'm wondering if failure is just our own narrative because I don't think people really care that much the older we get I think when we were you know uh, finding our own identity that's when everyone cared like you're in school you have community you know what I mean you go to church you go to like you know you're on a dance team or whatever or you're in that big community everyone's always watching you like listening in seeing what you're doing but now that I'm an adult Fuck, I'll fail all the time. I'm Fuck failing every single day. Yeah, you know? like, yeah 100%. 100%. Whatever, you know? And uh, you, you said something in a previous episode that I thought was so beautiful. And I think it correlates a lot with this and what we're talking about today. And you said that it's inspiring for other people to see someone who's actually willing to take a chance. Mm, agreed. I mean, isn't that why we watch the fucking Olympics? Yes. <laughs> because, yeah, maybe you'll be the Filipino diving team, which failed gloriously. And that's probably the best. Uh, when Abe and I are having a bad day, that's the first thing we go and watch. Because they, but here's the thing. The part of what's great about the clip is how committed they were to the fact that they thought they were going to actually not splash. <laughs> they were like, bitch, we got this. <laughs> but it's inspiring. Also, it's like people forget you know even if you fuck up really badly and you're the center of attention like it goes it becomes old news after a while it's true and and here's the thing like i think and you it's because you have this in the notes but isn't the scariest thing never having failed what do you think life would be like for you if you never did well i kind of okay I, i was like talking about this with my sister-in-law yesterday and she was like saying how her firstborn child she never let him be exposed to germs and he got Mm -hmm. sick all the time like he would go anywhere and get sick the the younger two they were exposed to germs because because you know brother was going to school they were going to the park all the time they like never get sick they have a great immune system so i kind of feel similarly about failure i feel like if you have no failure in your life all of a sudden, like one, you don't have the you don't have the built in resistance towards it anymore. Like if failure mm-hmm. were to come at you, it would bowl you over. 
And I think failure, little tiny cuts over time, make you stronger and stronger as you go. Mm -hmm. So I think like the things, if I look at the lessons I've learned in my life, they don't, they aren't derived from my successes. They're derived from my failures. Yes, exactly. And like, think about how fucking boring and bitter. Yeah. And like, and how like narcissistic you would be and entitled you would be if you never failed. Like, um, if you chase after any guy that you wanted and you and the, you they always reciprocated boring boring i'm like i just get whatever there's no challenge there's no challenge and then life becomes mundane and boring to you it's you know true. like you would be the worst dinner party guest because then you're like okay so then okay so i'm walking down the sidewalk right and i get to the end of the sidewalk and you're like, oh, okay, that's not a story. But I'm walking down the sidewalk. Like, everyone's laughing because, you know, it's sort of, wait, have you seen Wonder Woman 84? Not yet. There's a character in there, which is like the villain, where it's sort of Trumpian. It's like, yeah. I can do no wrong. Oof. Yeah. You know. Boring. <laughs> Boring. And I'm like, you're just such a bore. Honestly, they could have come up with a better villain. But Pedro Pascal is so hot, so it doesn't matter. It's true. Um, it's true. <laughs> yeah. But like, like, you know, it's, it's the things that are difficult that make good stories. It's the things that you have to push through that make good stories, you know? And like, we're all wrought into this world, like, you know, through pain, like in, in a lot of ways, like labor is pain. We experience pain, you know, unimaginable pain during childbirth, probably no one's been reporting it, but like, but you know, we're literally shoved through a tiny hole. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, I I think it, it, it's the nature of life. And so I think the sooner we learn to embrace failure, the more we can begin to start the journey of learning from it. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, there was like, for example, taking the Olympics team or like people who have a streak of winning yeah. consecutively. How much pressure and mental health issues do they have right. to have to try and upkeep that number one spot all the time? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's inhuman almost to always keep winning. It's true. And I know I've talked about it, but I think the two times in my life where I um, broke my leg and had knee surgery and I was home for a certain amount of time, literally sitting out the rat race is when I like came to my view of the world of like, oh, you can stop and the world keeps turning and everything's okay. Yes. Nobody really needs you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, but, but like if it wasn't for those failures, Priscilla, you wouldn't be like one of the most magical, wonderful, loving, oh, encouraging and like hardworking people that I've ever met. Like, honestly. Because you know what? As you're, well, first of all, thank you. I'm learning to take compliments because you're teaching me. <laughs> and I Good. feel the same about you. I think the thing with failure too is not only do you learn from it and learn life lessons, but it breeds compassion. Yes. It breeds compassion and understanding because if you've never failed, then you can't understand what it feels like to be like devastated, gutted, you know, dreams dashed, all of it taken away. It's hard to understand, but if you've been through it, then you can walk alongside your friends as they're going through it in a better and more meaningful way. I feel like I'm crying. This is is hitting all the feels right now. This is so amazing. Um, So I just want to say, closing this off, is that like, let's continue to fail and fail often, you know, but at least we know that we have the right people on our side. And also Prisca and I are here for you guys as well. So if you want to share your failures, we shared ours, we laid ours bare Bare. bones, just like... (laughs) out today so if you feel what we're feeling or you want to add to it please let us know 
now, guys, you know what you know what time is for. What it's time, time is it? for. What time is it? What, what time, time is for? <laughs> okay, so unsolicited picks. Mine's are pretty quick. So today's the day after Christmas, guys. It's the day before my birthday. Yes, <laughs> happy, happy early birthday, birthday <laughs> Thank you. Um, but you're hearing this in February, so this might not be as pertinent. But last night I made hot chocolate with my nephews and niece. <gasps> And I've made it before for coworkers and we spiked it like really hard. But like I this is the first time making it with the kiddos, you know, and we did it in a slow cooker, which to be fair, took a lot longer than if it was stovetop. And my niece let me know every minute. She's like, is it ready? Is it ready? Is it ready? <laughs> like, Sorry. <laughs> but we melt like we I got the fanciest milk I could find. I got the fanciest chocolate chips I could find. I got the fanciest hot cocoa I could find. And so basically you heat up milk in a on stovetop or in a crock pot. You put in some hot cocoa. Wait till that heats up with some sugar and then you melt a shit ton of chocolate chips in there and then you can add a little dash of vanilla some cinnamon and then boom you literally have like hot drinking chocolate my brother-in-law was like i've had better hot chocolate before and i was like really and he's like yeah i've had better never and i was like (laughs) (laughs) such a dad joke such a dad joke joke. (laughs) but i was like you know what i'll take it and like my little niece was like shoving marshmallows in her mouth and like drinking the hot chocolate chocolate all over her face but it was like the best experience so I highly recommend it Wait, and wh- one, one, one thing yeah. what is the fanciest milk um, well I just got like fair life the oh. fair life like DH Omega whatever like whole milk too okay, not 2% you're, you're otherly, yeah, otherly don't fuck with 2% when you're trying to if you're gonna drink hot chocolate like go full fat like let's not mm. fuck around let's not be let's not be LA about it you know what I mean yeah. this is like milk derived from corn <laughs> it has negative <laughs> calories <Cashew> milk <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, petunia milk <laughs> petunia milk a little lily of the valley milk <laughs> um, that sounds poisonous and so while we were making hot chocolate so that's my first rec we were watching the new pixar movie soul which <gasps> fuck it's been two months now but it's so great like it came out yesterday on disney plus on christmas day it is the animation is beautiful it's way deeper than i thought it's like deals with existential themes like so well and so beautifully like i think for me coco the movie was a movie made for people who wish they had pursued artistic endeavors soul kind of really taps on what it is as an artist even if you fail like even if you're not successful I shouldn't say fail even if you're not successful what that process is of losing yourself in your art oh my god that like resonates so hard with our theme today yeah you gotta go watch it rocks I, I yeah that's definitely on my list everyone's talking about it it's beautiful it's really beautiful okay how about you okay so um i and uh, so priscilla made her um hot chocolate for me i've been really obsessed yeah. with my own oat milk matcha honey latte that yeah. i've been making <gasps> so really so you know i got a little bougie after i moved into my new apartment because you Ooh. know what new year new me yeah um, so i spent 25 dollars on this like ceremonial grade matcha so this is this is my process okay this is how bougie it is okay because usually i just drink instant coffee with okay. milk <laughs> i'm ready i'm ready hit me with it hit me with it so I like heat up some Wawa, okay. right? And then I heat up the Wawa and then I like skim the, the use a sieve to like do the matcha, like mm. two teaspoons of matcha over like oh, the a little bowl, like right? head scratcher looking thing. Yes. The, <laughs> the, the, the hot pot looking uh, diffuse, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you do that. Yeah, you do that. And then um, you uh, have to heat up the little whisk first. Okay. 
And wow. then um and then you put in you pour in a little bit of hot water and then you just whisk <gasps> it until it bubbles at the top. <gasps> so then it becomes like a matcha espresso, okay? Oh, and oh, then you like oh, fill up your yeah. little mason jar like mm. this. Oh. And then you fill it up with ice. Okay, fill it up with your milk of choice. For me, it's oat milk. Okay. 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 And then you do something incredibly blasphemous that like you know, uh, Japanese people should like not listen to this right now. But then I add honey into my little matcha bowl, and then I was like, I mean, I mean, yeah, that is just like is that illegal. blasphemous or is that genius? Thank you. And so then this way, the heat from the water heats up the the um, the honey, so it doesn't like you don't pour it directly into the cup, so it melts and diffuses. Genius. So wow. then, like, you put that into um, into your beautiful. Um, mason jar and then you cap it and then you shake it so that it foams at the top stop stop it okay i'm coming over and you are coming i'm gonna make this for you you're okay. gonna love it okay i'm so excited okay. i'm gonna be up till 4 a.m but i don't care <laughs> I, I don't go. care and, and it's gonna you're gonna like celebrate your birthday in like the best way possible yeah, but you're never like, going <laughs> to sleep <laughs> welcome to 32 bish um and also i made i uh i baked for the first what? time <laughs> oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god i'm so proud of you <laughs> i've never baked ever and so um you know i uh came into this new apartment and i told um my partner john i was like i want to bake something and yes, he's bitch. like, what do you want to bake? And I was like, I want to bake chocolate chip cookies. Yes, and so he brought his entire kitchen over because I don't have any baking supplies. Oh my God. So I was like, what's taking so long? Like, why isn't he here yet? And then turns out he was carrying like three bags full of like ingredients, <gasps> like measuring cups. And Cause he knows I don't have shit. Oh my he bought God. me a baking sheet. And then um, he taught me how to make these delicious cookies. We put Belgium chocolate in it. We put like all this like high quality ingredients in it. And I will make this for you because there's some frozen that we kept and oh my so God. i'm gonna make that for you this afternoon when you come over oh so yes uh, roxy knows how to bake cookies now thank you okay starting a bakery new venture new venture and venture. then um and then you and i could just make hot cocoa and matcha lattes for everybody i literally have everything for hot cocoa so i can bring it over if you want some <laughs> okay. oh my god can you please yeah. okay i, I really love. will oh my god i literally have everything okay, okay. great <laughs> 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 okay, Roxy. Right, everybody, you know what time it is. <laughs> it's time for Roxy to pull a card for the collective. If, if Send you, your collective energy. Is how we feel this week, spirit. And if you want some more info, go to Instagram.com slash Sun Queen Tarot. Let's see. How, ooh, oh, bitch. What, 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 what? <gasps> we have the Empress oh, card. Oh, fuck. Here we go. Look at how fucking gorgeous she is, though. What a though. stunner. Oh, my God. She's beautiful. So this is for all my ladies and lady identifying peeps out there. Okay. Yes. The Empress is about a woman in her goddess energy. Hey, now. Okay. So just like really knowing your worth, really working on your self-care. Also, this is a, a sign for maternity. <gasps> so those of you who are thinking about becoming mothers, this might be a good week to like... Ooh. Try, try to make the those boom babies. boom with your partner. You know what I <laughs> Keep mean? Keep your legs in the, the air after. Keep that man juice inside a little longer. Keep that man juice inside of you. You know hey, what I'm hey, saying? Hey, All hey, right. Hey. Keep that fertility. It could be a good week okay. for fertility. You know okay, what I'm saying? Okay. All right. But this could also mean like being the mother of something else, you know, like creating something, giving birth to something creatively or like giving birth to a new idea. Mm. You know, like this is sort of like embracing that feminine, compassionate energy and giving birth to something. But usually for me, this like really talks about like motherhood okay okay so um just pay attention to your mothers give your moms a little bit more love and those of you who want to procreate could be a good week to uh focus a little bit more on the on the good stuff this week 
<laughs> and then also make sure to play Priscilla's soundtrack. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So you can loop sexy. this. And 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 and. I'm turkey. Everybody. <laughs> all right, all right guys. everybody. We love all of you guys. Thank you for bearing with us. Yes. Well, hopefully, you found a lot of our journeys interesting. Remember, you could always talk to us. We're also on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, come hang out with us. And um, remember, have a horny week. Our lovely goatees. And remember, stay horny. podcast is hosted by Roxy and Priska. Music by Abraham Kim. Artwork by Connie Yen. Please visit us at twohornygoats.com. Have thoughts or questions for us? Email us at hello at twohornygoats.com. Tell the story or we go.